Well, we're continuing our series we started last week called Divine Direction. And I think everybody at some point in your life or many points in your life wonders, how do I know what God wants me to do? And so last week we gave you two really important truths about that. And that is that to God, it's much more important that you learn who you are before you learn what you should do. So we said who before do. In other words, the character that God is forming in you is more important than the, the title, the career, the job, the what, occupation, whatever it is that you do in life. And it's actually easier to find, to get clarity on what it is, if you become the kind of person God wants you to be. And then we also said the why before the what. So why you do what you do is more important than what you do. And so clarifying what your, what your why is, what your, the motive is on, on why you're seeking to go one direction or another will help you find that. So what I want to do today is build on that foundation. I want to talk about the wisdom to discern. So if you have a decision that you have to make, how do you make it? I want to give you three things today that you can do that's going to help you become uh, better at making decisions. So before I do that, um, let, let me just throw a scenario at you, okay? Let's all pretend, let's put our pretend hat on for a minute, and let's all pretend that somebody just approached you and offered you a job uh, out of state, uh, in a city that you really like, and the pay was $12,000 a year more, um, and it's the same job, same amount of work, same job, city you like, $12,000 more. How many of you would, how many of you would take that? You, 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 you're like, I don't, know, I don't know how I should respond. <laughs> how should, okay, well, most of us would probably say, where's the moving truck? I'm ready. But wait, there's more. I hope that you didn't take that job because I got another job. And it's in another city that you like. And it's the same amount of work and the same type of work, but the pay is $50,000 a year higher. And you go, man, I'm... Glad I didn't take that, you know, that first one. And then some of you are like, I'm kind of suspicious there's another one, so I'm not sure I'm going to take this one. <laughs> well, you're in luck. There is another one. And it's in another city, in another state that you like, and it's the same job and the same amount of work, except the pay is $100,000 more than you make already. Now, so far you look at that and you go, man, Let's see, more money, easier life, that's got to be God's will, right? Because our two discernment filters that we have is more money, easier life equals God's will. Well, let's put it in a different context. Let's say that a church from Hawaii near the beach called me. Maui, you know, somewhere not very attractive. Have I told you how much I love the beach? I love the beach. I was born in the wrong part of the country. God made a mistake. He should have put me a little further south. They called and said, hey, we want you to pastor this church on the beach, and we'll pay you twice as much as you make now, whatever. And, and, and then if I let, you know what you would say? You know what you'd say in the hallway? You'd talk about me. I know you would. You talk, don't act like you, don't look pretty. You'd talk about me. You'd say, he just went for the money or the beach. Oh... Now, when it's me, it's different. When it's a pastor, it's different. You would expect a pastor to use more discernment filters other than money and easier life. 
Well, it sounds like something every Christian should do. So what I want to do is I want to challenge you today to look below the surface among the cultural discernment filters that we use for so too many decisions. Is there more money and is it, does it make my life easier? As, as God's people, we have to have better wisdom than that. Now, the, the, the answer is, should you go or not go, that's not, that's, not the, that's not the real point. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't, I don't know. But how will you know if that's the only two discernment filters you use? If everything that makes you more money and makes your life easier, you automatically interpret as God's will, how many of you think you're going to miss some of God's will? Right? So, so we have to think deeper than that and beyond that. And, it's, and part of the pressure that we feel today is we live in this illusion of perfection. We're, in our day, we're supposed to have you know, a perfect body, perfect health, perfect car, perfect house, perfect vacation, perfect relationships. Even our dinner's supposed to be perfect at the perfect restaurant. And you can scan social media all day and all the pictures look perfect. How many of you are suspicious there's some real life behind that that you're not seeing? Right? And so on one hand, we feel, we feel this incredible pressure that every decision we make has to lead to a perfect outcome. On the other hand, we're making more decisions than at any time in history. So the weight that we carry to make perfect decisions and a lot more of them is real. And it's overwhelming and it's heavy. So, so we have to find a way to discern through this. Let me give you a statement today, and I don't want you to respond at all, because I'm not trying to trick you or trap you, but I just want you to listen to it, and, and I, want, I want you to formulate in your mind, what do you think about this statement? Here's the statement. God will clearly show us in exact detail what to do about every decision if we seek God enough using the right prayers and stand on the right scripture. Just process that for a minute. Look at it. In your own heart, answer the question. Do you, do you believe that's true? God will clearly show us in exact detail what to do about every decision if we seek God enough and pray the right prayers and stand on the right scriptures. The answer is no. No, he will not. That's the illusion of perfection applied to our faith. And it doesn't come from scripture, it comes from our culture. And so we're putting a cultural framework onto God and expecting God to be something he's not because we're more informed by the revelation of our culture than we are the revelation of scripture. So let me, let me uh, show you from the incredible Apostle Paul, the amazing Apostle Paul, let me show you some uncertainty that was in his life in 1 Corinthians 16, 6 through 9. Perhaps, already, you know, it's not completely clear. I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go, for I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. And there's a lot of uncertainty in that passage. And those are the kind of passages that we tend to read over because they just include like travel plans. And you're like, well, you know, why is that important? 
Well, it's important because it reveals to us how the Apostle Paul found wisdom and divine direction. In the Spirit-filled church, there's a great hunger to, to hear God's voice, to please God, to follow God, and to live dependently on Him. And I, I want to say, for one, I am deeply grateful for that value and that value has impacted my life and shaped the person that I am as a pastor, as a person, as a parent, uh, just as a child of God. However, I think sometimes we misapply it. Sometimes we, we misapply it and we expect every important decision for us to find guidance through it from a mystical voice. Now, why won't God do the statement that I gave you earlier? He'll show you in exact detail every decision. Why won't he do that? Here's why. Because God does not want immature robots. But if God were to tell you everything in a mystical voice that you ought to do every day and every moment, you would never mature. You know why? Because it's the wrestling of our soul with the heavier issues of life that cause us to grow. It's not when we say, I know the answer, I know the answer. That's not when you're growing. When you're growing is when you say, I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. I don't know. God help me. I don't know. God give me wisdom. God show me. I have no idea. And and then you pray and and you rattle the heavens and nothing falls out. And you say, God, where are you and, and what do I do and what do you expect of me? Oh, that's when you're growing. Because God doesn't want you to be an immature robot with no wisdom. He wants you to be a mature son or daughter of God filled with the wisdom of God. And the only way he can do that is not tell you everything. Because then you would just, it's just a transaction. Just give me the next thing that I need. Solomon asked God for wisdom. King Solomon in the Old Testament, and that was so pleasing to God, God actually granted his wish. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for a lot of the things that many of us could ask for. He asked for wisdom, and God gave it to him and declared that he was the wisest person that ever lived. So listen to what the wisest person who ever lived said in Proverbs 4, 7. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do, and whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Have you ever heard anybody say, you could probably finish this sentence with me, if I knew then, right, I would have done things different. You know what that's code for? I gained some wisdom since then. Right? I know some things I didn't know then. I've learned. I see things from a different perspective than I saw in them. So let me give you three things. If you're taking notes, let me give you three things this morning that you can do to become a better decision maker. Number one, walk with wise people. So uh, Teen Challenge and, and all kind of Christian rehab ministries can tell you this pattern that they've seen for decades and decades and decades. When a person successfully completes a rehabilitation, Christian rehabilitation program, and they do the program and the outcome's good, almost all of them that relapse 
have one thing in common. They go back to their family and they go back to their friends and they go back to the environment where the addiction began and they try to fight it out. And they almost always lose. Because the people that are around you have an impact on you. Maybe you've heard it said like this, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Boy, that's true, isn't it? Proverbs 13, 20 says it like this. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. It's amazing that sometimes we want to surround ourselves with people that live in a foolish way, but then expect to make good choices. And it's it's nearly impossible to live that way. When I was a a child, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. And I can remember um, at one point, after I'd, I'd been a Christian for a short time as a teenager, and there was a lot of pressure in my home and a heated moment, I remember my dad looked at me and said, son, whatever you do, don't ever get married. Because it'll ruin your life. That's what he told me. And thanks to the grace of God, I realized that if I was ever going to do better, I was going to have to get around some different kind of people. And I was going to have to get some kind of different kind of wisdom than what I'd been handed. And so, and I did. And I found other people in my life. And one of them was uh, my father-in-law who, who pastored here 35 years. When I first came, started dating my wife and we got more serious and I got closer to their family and got to see how he had a wife who was crippled and how he served her and raised two daughters, and I'd never seen a man tender like that to his family. And it, and it changed my perspective. And it helped me, and it gave me wisdom. You can't walk with foolish people and make wise choices. <laughs> You're gonna have to find some wiser people to get around. You know why? Because wisdom is more caught than taught. And so you, you, you're going to have to rub up uh, shoulders on uh, different kinds of people. So um, what's not going to do it is you're not going to be able to just check in church once or twice a month and, and read some Christian quotes and pick up a book here or there or listen to go to a Christian movie or, or hear a Christian song. That's not going to be enough. Like you're, you're actually going to have to dig your life in and you're going to have to get around some wise. So what I would recommend is like, man, ask somebody out to lunch. Like find some space that you can begin to relationally intertwine yourself with people who are, have godly wisdom. And let me tell you, you'll be sitting there listening and you'll be thinking, I don't even know what's happening. I don't know if I'm gaining anything. But if you look back over about six months, you'll look back at your life and you'll go, I'm getting wiser. And I can't necessarily break it down to any content that somebody gave me or any direct quote that they gave me, but something's happening inside me because wisdom is caught, not taught. It's like, it's like a, a, a virus. <laughs> if you get close enough, you'll catch it. But you've got to stay there, and you'll catch it. Find wise people to walk with, and you'll become wiser. Here's the second thing you can do. Ask God for wisdom. Now look, just because God doesn't give you direction about every decision in a mystical voice does not mean that God is uninvolved. 
That's not what it means. It's not one or the other. Either he spoke to me through, you know, lightning struck a tree in my yard and wrote the word, go here. You know, or he doesn't speak at all. You know, there's actually a greater variation than that. And James 1.5 tells us that if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You know what? There's two words in that verse that I love, I love, I love. In this verse, the first 10 years of my faith was formational for me. One of them is generously. God's not stingy. He's not, you said, oh, I need wisdom. Ah, how, about, how about a little bit? Come back tomorrow, I'll give you a little bit more. It probably won't be enough, but it's okay. I'll just give you i I'm, I'm trying to manage the storehouse of wisdom in heaven. You know, I'm running low up here. Like, that's not how God does it. You say, give me wisdom, God hits you with a wisdom cannon. <laughs> He's like, Hi, you want some more? I'll hit you again. Comes a tsunami of wisdom. You want some more here? I got plenty. I'm never going to run out. Right? Generously. Here's the other one. The, the simple three-letter word, all. I'm so glad that you don't have to be like a priest or a, or a pastor or, or you don't have to go to a class. You don't have to get certified in this. All. You don't have to be, have a certain amount of money or a certain job or certain education. To every child who looks up to heaven and says, God, why are my mom and dad fighting? God, give me wisdom. God answers that prayer. Man, for every person, everywhere on earth, all, A-L-L, everybody. I'm so glad. You just, you just have to ask. And I think that's great news because today we are living in an absolute, we're drowning in an ocean of knowledge and we're dying in a famine of wisdom. So I can't think of hardly a more important prayer than God give me wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What does that mean? The, the, uh, it doesn't mean like I'm panicking and I'm afraid of God. It means that I'm in awe of God. Like I live in a reverence of God. I have organized my life like we sang it a few minutes ago. You reign above it all, God. I've got to put God above everything else in my life. I honor God with my life. And the Bible says that is where wisdom starts. When you honor God with your life, you start your journey of wisdom. And it doesn't start much before that. <laughs> but every time you take a step and say, all right, God, I give you this part of my life. Lord, I give you this part of my life. Lord, I want to honor you with this part of my life. Man, man, the Bible says, here it comes. Here comes an increase of wisdom in your life. So what do you do? Ask God. Man, ask God you know, every day, every other day, every week, ask God, open up your Bible every day and look in there. That's his voice. That's his word. That's his truth. That's him speaking to you and talking to you and guiding you. And sometimes what we want to do is we want to just go, man, I just, I just have this one decision and I just need to know what to do about that. Let me look at the Bible. God doesn't want to share his will with you about one decision. He wants to share his will about everything. And so we want this kind of transaction. Like, I, I don't want to know all that. I just want to know this. And God says, well, that's not wise. <laughs> right? So God's not even going to give you wisdom in a foolish way. He's going to give it to you in a wise way because he's the God of all wisdom. So open up your Bible. Pray. Ask him. Do your devotions. 
and, and, and uh, you know, f- find, a, f- find a community inside our church that you can get in, that you can process those things, because God is the source of wisdom. You're not going to get wisdom from these other mediums. God is the source, and the only way you're going to get wisdom is spend time with God. Right? You can't see enough Christian movies to become wise. You can't read enough Christian quotes to get wise. God is the source of wisdom, and when you spend time with him, you get wiser. Psalm 32.8 says this, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Advise you and watch over you. When our oldest son was, um, I think in elementary school, I was, I was teaching him how to swim, and we went to the pool, and you know, it was time to stop waiting around in waist-deep water. It was time to go ahead and go in over your head. You know what I mean? And so we're in the pool, and I said, okay, jump off the side, but you know, this time I'm, I'm not going to catch you. I'm going to back up further than you can jump. So, and I told you, know, here's how you swim, right? I advised him, did all the advising, and then he jumps in. You know, just like he had done all his life, and I'd always caught him, and it was awesome fun, except I was too far away. He jumped in, and I can remember the confused look on his eyes as he just sunk under. He was like, <laughs> like, you know, you're killing me. Like, what are you doing to me? And I can remember him, and so I swept up under his arms and pulled him up, and I said, what happened? He said, I, I drowned. <laughs> I said, no, you didn't drown. You didn't drown, but listen. I advised him, and then I watched over him. I wasn't going to let him drown. And that day when we left the pool, he knew how to swim. Can I tell you, you might not have had a good dad on earth, but you've got the best dad in heaven. And he will watch over you, and he will advise you. Right? But you have to open your heart and mind to him and give him the space to do that inside your life. Walk with wise people and ask God for wisdom. Here's the third one, and this one may sound like a no-brainer. Make a decision. Walk with wise people, ask God for wisdom, and at some point or another, you're going to have to make a decision. So there's a thing called um, a certainty quotient. And the certainty quotient says this. How much certainty do you need in order for you to be comfortable making a decision. And everybody's certainty quotient is different. If you're on the upper end and you say, I, I'm, I'm not doing anything until I'm 99% sure, well, you might want to allow your certainty quotient to drop a little bit because if you have to be that sure on everything you do, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. On the other hand, you got the trigger-happy person down here who says, oh, 10%, I'm, I'm going. You know, we're bam, 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 bam. And they're firing stuff off all the time. And what I would say to you is, you might want to allow your certainty quotient to, to grow, rise some to about 50% because you're like chasing a squirrel. I mean, you know what I mean? You, you, your life's all over the place. And you need to actually make less decisions, fewer decisions better, rather than more decisions more often. And so what you want to try to do is get your certainty quotient in a place. Because look, let's be honest. There are some decisions in life you are not going to be 100% sure on. And then when that happens, you have two choices. Either trick yourself into believing you are 100% sure, which I've, I've seen, 
probably even done to myself sometime, or become more comfortable with less certainty and say, okay, this appears to be everything. All right, sometimes I said, all right, God, I'm about to pull the trigger. Stop me now. Like I've done, I've prayed, I've studied, I've sought counsel, I've done everything I know how to do, and, and I'm not certain, I'm not 100% certain, but I'm, you know, more than half, and the time, I got to do something. At some point, you have to make a decision. How, how many of you have seen the movie, um, The Karate Kid, right? All, all children in the 80s, come on. Where are children in the 80s at? Yeah, Karate Kid, Ralph Macchio, they've probably remade it 17 times, you know, how, how that all goes. Ralph Macchio's this um, karate, this kid learning karate from uh, Miyagi, you know, this uh, master. And they're talking one day, and uh, Miyagi is counseling him, and he says, uh, when you're walking down the road, Danielson, when you're walking down the road, you walk on the left, and it's safe. You walk on the right, and it's safe. You walk in the middle, you get squished like a grape. Do you remember that? I love that line. And so no, not making a decision is a bad decision. You can't stay in the middle forever. At some point, you actually have to make a decision about whatever it is happening in your life. So let me give you some advice on making a decision, okay? If the Bible clearly says it's right or wrong, do exactly what the Bible says. The Bible would call that wisdom. And I think we're real short on that in these days. But what about the things that you can't find clear guidance in the Bible or even principles, maybe? Sometimes there's not like, you know, the Bible doesn't address technology. It wasn't around then, so what do we do about that? Well, we got to draw some, for some principles. But, but what do you do when you have maybe two decisions that are both good? They appear to both be in, in a way to honor God. What do you do? Well, th then you're going to have to um, figure out Seek wise counsel, ask God for wisdom, and then make a decision. Right? Seek these wise people you've been walking with. Pull a few of them aside who you think might have a perspective and say, hey, I got this big decision to make and I'd just like to have your input. What do you think? And listen, because what does Proverbs say? There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. So I'd recommend more than one. I'd say at least two, maybe three on a big decision. And, and seek their input and then put it to prayer and say, God, I need wisdom. Like, I'm seeking wisdom best I know how. There doesn't seem to be anything clearly in your word to help me. But divine direction doesn't always come in a mystical voice. First Thessalonians, Paul and his companions were trying to figure out what direction to take. And look what he says. When we could stand it no longer. We just put a period there. How many of you are glad that that's in the Bible? You ever had some things you couldn't stand any longer? I, 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 I done put up with as much as I done put up with. When we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Isn't that amazing? We thought it best. I'm not sure. Not 100% sure. But I didn't make the decision by myself. We thought it was best. So we stayed in Athens. Because that's what appeared to be the best thing to do. Look. Don't over-spiritualize your decisions. 
Don't say, I'm not gonna do anything until God tells me or gives me a sign, I'm not moving. You might be looking for something that's not going to come. Yeah, every time I have somebody you know, that says something to me like, you know, hey, God told me to wear these socks this morning. I can tell you what happens. I always look at them and smile and pat them on the shoulder, but inside I'm thinking, no, he didn't. <laughs> it's not because God doesn't speak. Of course he speaks. But if God told you what socks to wear every day, you'd be an immature robot. God doesn't want that. He wants you to be a mature son or daughter of God. So that's not happened. So don't over-spiritualize your decisions. On the other hand, don't under-spiritualize them. And that's what we see a lot of as if God has no concern or care or no prayer, no, no looking in the Bible, no wise counsel, no, no seeking input from anybody else. I'm just going to do this on my own. And by the way, there's more money and it makes my life easier, so it must be God's will. We've got it. Among God's people, our light's going to shine brighter if we don't use the same discernment filters that the world uses. But if we're making decisions the same way the world uses them, what's the difference? What's the difference? So don't under-spiritualize your decisions either. Don't live as if there is no spiritual world. There is no eternity. There is no God. There is no heaven. There is, there is no God's plan. Don't live as if that's not true. So don't over-spiritualize. Don't under-spiritualize. You know what that means? You know, you know what that means? That means you need wisdom. Because <laughs> it takes a lot of wisdom to not over-spiritualize or not under-spiritualize. It takes a lot of wisdom. That's what we need. We need wisdom for these choices that we have to make. So the thing I can say to you is ask God, when you have to make a decision, ask God, God, what, what decision could I make here that honors you the most? That's a good question. And it's not even an absolute question because, as I mentioned, sometimes you'll have two choices that kind of both honor God. And it's not clear. And those are hard, too. And those you need wisdom. But what decision honors God the most is a really good filter that helps you with a lot of decisions. But it won't even help you with all of them because sometimes you have two really good choices and you need wisdom. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're online with us today, our prayer team is live and they've been praying for you and we'd love to pray for you today. They would love to meet you here now live in this moment and maybe you have a need that uh, you need to pray for. Maybe you need wisdom somewhere. We'd love to pray for you because we believe that we have a God who's invited us to ask him for wisdom, which means that he'll give it when we ask. So we wanna do that. And for all of us today, would you just close your eyes for a minute? Lord, we thank you today that you're the God of all wisdom. And we come to you today, Lord, as children, sons and daughters, people who humble ourselves today and confess, God, I need wisdom. I, I really don't know everything that I need to do. And uh, sometimes I don't even know how to know. And left to my own, I will invariably make some decisions that don't honor you, that aren't best, and sometimes are just downright foolish. 
So Lord, I, in your own way, would you confess that? Lord, that's my confession to you. Me. That's my confession. Left to my own, I'll make choices that don't honor you. I'll make choices that aren't best, and sometimes I'll even make choices that are foolish. But God, today we look to you and say, make us wise, because we need it. As we sing this song.